so it was. If they were eating corn, uh, plucking corn, they said, well, he's working on the Sabbath. And uh, that was not work. It was not considered work. And so then uh, last week we began to look at this miracle of this man who had showed up for church with a need. And uh, we talked about that. We got into um, the significance of that church is where we should bring our needs. Church is not a place to come and show off our perfection. It's a place where we bring our needs, and God has a way of finding and meeting those needs. And so here is a man, and you understand that in Jesus' day, there was no welfare system. There was no Medicare or Medicaid. Uh, There was no assistance if a man... Uh, had a, a physical limitation or handicap. I guess that's not politically correct anymore to say, but but um, I don't know what, you know, it's, it's just hard to teach an old dog new tricks. So uh, we called it handicapped all growing up. Now, I don't know what the proper terminology is now. But anyhow, when a man's got a physical limitation, in Bible days, his only hope was to beg. That was his only option. And uh, and here was a man with a withered hand. I don't know if it was his right hand, his left hand. It's really irrelevant because with only one hand, you're extremely limited in what you're able to do, especially in light of the fact that, that uh, most all, if not all, work in Jesus' day was physical, manual labor. Uh, there weren't any... Um, telephone receptionist jobs they could take. Hallelujah. Uh, there, there just wasn't a whole lot they could do with just one hand. And so his life, his life was really um, uh, in, 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 a, in a condition that he desperately needed some help, and he went to the one place where he felt he could find help. And that was in the house of God. We pointed out to you that there were those who were sitting there in the service, not interested in what God was going to do, not interested in even what the preacher was going to preach, but all eyes were on Jesus hoping once again to catch him in some wrong. They were just waiting for him to say or do the wrong thing. And, uh, and, and I pointed out to you, the scripture says that Jesus got angry with them. Uh, this is not the Jesus that so many people want to try to portray, uh, that, you know, he was some wimp and, and uh, he, you know, just let people run over him. That's not the case at all. Uh, there were times Jesus got angry, but anger in and of itself is not sin. It is, we talked about this, number one, the reason why we're angry that can determine whether it's a sin or not. And number two, how we respond to it can determine whether it's a sin or not. But Paul said, be angry and sin not. So anger in and of itself is not a sin. Well, praise God. Jesus got angry. He got angry, but he got angry because of the attitude and the spirit that people brought into the house of God. Rather than coming hoping to see someone helped and to see someone changed, they were coming hoping to catch someone doing wrong. 
they came with an attitude and a spirit of condemnation rather than one of help and hope and love and compassion. Praise God. And so Jesus got angry about it and, and he spoke to the man and he said, he said, uh, stand forth. And so the man had to slip out of the crowd and become the focal point. And then Jesus said to him, stretch forth your hand. He did and Jesus healed it. And, and this is, uh, this is approximately where we left off last week. We want to pick up now, uh, with verse number six. Uh, Mark chapter 3, if you've got your Bible open, and verse 6. You know, we, we've seen it before. We saw it in chapter 2 when the man was let down through the roof. This paralytic man, a man who could not walk, but he gets up, he takes up his bed, he walks, uh, walks out of that place. You would think everybody there was jumping and shouting and clapping and hooping and hollering and but, but uh, that wasn't the case. They were, some of them were very angry at what Jesus had done. And uh, they were very upset at his action. And so it is even now, this same theme continues on as we see this great miracle. Here's a man who had no hope in this life outside of sitting and begging for the compassion of others and now he's got two good hands. He can go to work. He can do something with his life. He can become a valuable member of society and instead of folks being happy about that and instead of folks being excited about that, they were upset. In fact, they were more than upset. Let's look at Mark chapter 3 and verse 6. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. How they might not just silence him, not just stop him. They wanted to destroy him. Hallelujah. They wanted to destroy him. Well, I could, I could get really, really sidetracked here. Get back into this whole issue of anger. You know, in all of Jesus' anger, there, there was, uh, when he went through the, through the temple with a whip, he wasn't there to destroy them. He wanted to stop their ungodly activity. When he got mad at these folks, he wasn't looking to destroy them. He wanted to stop their ungodly attitude. There were times that he wanted to silence their ungodly words. But at no point do I find him reaching a place he wants to destroy them. This is where we should draw the line and we need to ask ourselves. I'm telling you, getting angry in and of itself is not a sin. But when our anger drives us to a place that we become destructive, uh, then we've crossed the line into sin. Hallelujah. Our anger should never lead us to a point of destruction. Now let me tell you something. There is physical destruction and there is verbal destruction. And sometimes people who would never think of causing physical destruction don't mind 
causing verbal destruction. In fact, there are times, listen to me, church. There are times when in our carnality and in our humanity, someone does something to us and it is our human nature that we not only want to lash out, we not only want to, to respond in kind, but something rises up in us that says, I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to stop them from ever being effective. I'm going to do everything I can to trash their character. I'm going to do everything I can to make them look terrible in the eyes of everybody so they'll never again be an influence. Listen, when we get to that point, that's not God. And God's not pleased. Jesus wanted to silence them. Jesus wanted to stop them but I don't find where he got angry enough that he wanted to destroy them. But that was the attitude they had. They didn't just want to silence him. And they didn't just want to stop him. They wanted to destroy him. They wanted to forever end his effectiveness and his influence. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it even among people who call themselves Christians. That what we want to do is destroy someone's influence. Help us, Lord Jesus. I talked about it a little bit. I'm not going to get too deep into that today. We talked about it some last week. Vengeance belongs to God. That is his unique personal property. And we have no business going there. We need to stay out of that territory altogether. That's God's grounds. Let's stay out of it. Hallelujah. Let's let God do the avenging. Well, we still need to pray for them that despitefully use us. Of course, you know, even that, I think sometimes, Brother Sister, I need to clarify because we say pray for those that despitefully use you. And so they say, all right, I'll pray. God, kill him. I prayed for him. <laughs> Well, that's not exactly what, uh, what we have in mind when we say pray for them, all right? Pray for them that despitefully use you. I think when Jesus said that, he meant pray, pray that God would help them, that God would turn them around, that God would do something good for them. Well, praise God. Pray that God will forgive them. I'm going to tell you, we, we, we cannot claim to be like Jesus until we can look at those who are crucifying us and say, forgive them, Father, because they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> I heard Elder Davis one time. He was preaching, and he was preaching about Jacob. Jacob on his way back after he had left the house of Laban, and he knew that his brother Esau was coming to destroy him. And, and when... Jacob spent that night in prayer and wrestling with an angel and the next day he meets his brother Esau. I, I, I still remember the elder talking about the attitude that Jacob had at that moment. Jacob said to Esau, when I saw your face, it was like the face of God. Now I want you to think about it. The man who's wanting to kill you. 
But when Jacob saw it, and the elder said, when you can look at your enemies and see the face of God, then you know you've really prayed through the matter. Well, there's some profundity there, praise God. All right, I didn't intend to get into that. Let's, let's, get, back, let's get back to my notes here. But, but they, they took counsel with the Herodians that, to see how they might destroy him. Now, we talked about when we were teaching on the book of Matthew who the Herodians were. Nobody really knows for certain. The idea is that they were probably a political party. Problem number one. Well, hallelujah. I have no faith in any political party, I'll tell you. But these Jews were most likely aligned with a political party that was attached to Herod Antipas. This was the son of Herod the Great. Um, Herod Antipas was the man who had imprisoned and beheaded John the Baptist. Um, Herod Antipas was the man that, uh, to whom Jesus was sent to be interrogated, but Jesus would not answer him anything, had nothing to say to him. But, but somehow these Jews, evidently, most theologians think they had found some way to justify in their minds that what they needed to do was to get aligned with Herod politically in order to save their own skin. And they evidently felt like that by becoming attached to him that it would provide a degree of comfort and safety for them. And so, uh, but yet they were Jews. They were Jews from all we can tell. And so the Pharisees wanting to destroy Jesus thought, you know, the best people we can go to right now are the friends of Herod. Let's see if since they're Jews, they can find some way that we can use Jewish law and Roman law, combine them together, and somehow destroy this man. Let's work together. Now, I'm going to tell you, if, if what these scholars are saying is true about the Herodians, I can almost guarantee that up until this moment, the Pharisees, who were the strictest of the Jews, most likely despised the Herodians, who would compromise their faith for politics. Well, that had a ring to it. Compromise their faith. I'll never understand politicians who get up and say, well, personally, I think abortion's wrong, but I can't make that decision for everyone else. Yeah, I know, I understand. You're a compromiser. You've compromised your convictions, which really are not convictions, because real convictions you don't compromise. And I'm going to tell you, if you really believe abortion is murder, you don't say, I'm going to let everybody choose if they want to commit murder. And I believe it is murder. I believe that's exactly what it is. It's the taking of an innocent life 
And so no, I don't believe women or anybody else have the right to choose to murder another human being. Well, hallelujah. All right, all right. Let me get off of all that. But, but anyhow, I, I, I just think that most likely the Pharisees, the strictest of all the Jews, and the Herodians were arch enemies. I just feel like most likely they hated one another. As the Jews saw the Herodians as traitors. But now all of a sudden they've become best friends. Because they have a common enemy. Now, but I want to show you something. And again, this is why, you know, when I get to studying the life of Jesus Christ, I recognize how inadequate I am. I recognize how far from my goal I really am. When I see him and the way he responds to things, it brings conviction to my heart. And I say, God, I've got to learn this lesson. See, here were these two arch enemies that both hated him so much. They were willing to lay aside their own differences to unite together for the purpose of bringing destruction to him. So what's he going to do? How is he going to respond to this? What is going to be the Lord's reaction? Well, let's look and see. Mark chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from Idumea, and from beyond Jordan. And they about Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they had heard what great things he did, came to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, look. <clears throat> Jesus didn't try to retaliate. And Jesus didn't stand around and try to defend himself. You know what Jesus did? When they rose up against him, you know what he did? He said, well, if you don't want it, I'll go find somebody who does. Well, hallelujah. I saw someone wrote just recently, they said, you know, you should always try to win the soul, not the argument. So many times we spend our time and our energy and effort trying to win the argument, and we lose the soul. I'd rather lose the argument and win the soul. Well, praise God. You know, and this is one reason why, I'll just tell you, this is one reason why I don't get into debates I don't get into these arguments. And, and, and I had a man uh, way back when we first started going to Africa, and I was doing this teaching, came back with a report. We baptized 50 pastors and, 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 and uh, church leaders, their wives, in Jesus' name. And, and a man sent me a message, and he said, I don't understand it. He said, I've been debating them for years, and I've never gotten anywhere with them. And yet you go over, and in two days you end up convincing them and baptizing them. Well, I, I didn't say to him what I wanted to say. I was trying to be respectful. But to me, it's very clear what the difference is. I didn't go to debate. I didn't go to argue. I wasn't interested in trying to argue my point against their point. What I wanted to do was to show them truth. And when you see the truth, then you are made free. Well, praise God. 
Amen. Jesus could have stood around and said, you guys better watch out. You better be careful what you're doing. I'm tell- I'll call down legions of angels. I'll destroy every one of you. You better leave me alone. But you know what he did? He said, well, you don't want it? Somebody does. I'll go find somebody who does. And I'm going to tell you, there are times even in our witnessing church, even in our reaching out, somebody just wants to argue with us. I had a man sent me a, a message the other day, and he said, I want you to, to look at this. He said, I, this man is hitting me with all these questions, and I want you to consider what I'm being asked here. And I wrote him back. I said, look, it looks like to me the man wants to argue. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your time. Move on. There are people who want to know truth. There are people who are hungry for truth. Spend your time teaching those who want to hear it, not arguing with those who are just trying to prove a point. This is what Jesus did. In fact, in fact, it wasn't just a matter of crowds following him. Matthew says it this way in Matthew 12, 15. But when Jesus knew it, when Jesus knew that they were looking to destroy him, here's what he did. He withdrew himself. He withdrew himself. And a great multitude and followed him. A multitude followed him. And he healed them and, all. And he just healed them all. He said, you guys may not want this. That's fine. You don't want it. That's your business. But somebody does. I'm going to tell you, that's what it was that moved the heart of Jesus when the Syrophoenician woman came to him. And he said, woman, I want to tell you, it's not fit that I should take the children's bread and give it to dogs. And she said, you're exactly right. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that the children don't want. And Jesus was moved by the words that she spoke because that was his philosophy in life. That was exactly his modus operandi. That was the way Jesus operated throughout his ministry is he was looking for those that were hungry for what nobody else wanted. If you don't want the meal, fine. Somebody is hungry. Somebody is looking for it. And I'm going to find those that want it. Oh, hallelujah. He didn't waste his time arguing, debating, fussing, fighting with those who didn't want him. Elder Westberg famously, famously said, Years ago, uh, he told the story. He spent years as a truck driver. And he said, you know, there are times I was driving down these, these country roads. And he said, I might have a couple million dollars worth of stuff in that trailer I'm pulling behind me. And he said, all of a sudden, these dogs come out barking at my wheels. He said, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not throwing that whole rig and all those millions of material into the ditch for some dog. He said, as far as I'm concerned, let the dogs bark and just let the truck roll on. Well, hallelujah. That's the way Jesus was. Let those dogs just bark. They don't like it. They're not happy about it. Let them bark. But I'm just going to keep going. Those those dogs are not going to stop my truck. And I'm sure not swerving out of the way. I'm just going to keep doing what I know I'm supposed to be doing. I'm going to keep doing what's right. I'm not even going to slow down. I'm just going to keep heading on the right direction. It's up to the dogs to get out of the way. Well, so let the, let the dogs bark. 
Let the trucks roll. You know, this, look, I, I, as, as I was studying through this, I just, I really felt like I might need to spend a little bit of time right here. And uh, this, this, this is the only way that we are ever going to accomplish anything. Whether it's in the kingdom of God or in life in general. Is that we've got to just have a made up mind. That those who don't like what we're doing. That's their problem. That's their problem. It's not my problem. If, if I'm seeking to please God and people don't like what I'm doing, that's not my problem. That's, that's their problem. They, they need to just get a life. Quit worrying about me. Quit trying to stop me. And I'm going to tell you, saints of God, anytime you start trying to do right, get ready for it. Just prepare yourself. Don't think it's strange. Peter said, think it not strange. The fiery trial which is sent to try you. I'm saying to you also, don't think it's strange that every time you start trying to do what you know you need to do, somebody's going to rise up and criticize and argue and make fun and try their best to stop you. Just get ready. It's a part of life. Somebody said every great conductor can never really be a great conductor until he learns to turn his back on the crowd. Well, well that, was, that, was the, that was the idea, the attitude Nehemiah had. I've been talking to you on Thursday nights about the remnant coming back, but before, before the book of Haggai, there was a leader who came along by the name of Nehemiah. He'd been a cupbearer to the king and Nehemiah had gone back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and while they're there working, guess what? Somebody didn't like it. Somebody wasn't happy. Somebody wanted to criticize. Somebody wanted to find fault. Well, that's the way it is. I'm telling you, somebody, somebody's going to have a bad attitude. Somebody's going to have a wrong spirit. Somebody's not going to like what's going on. You can't please everybody. You can't please everybody. I'm t- just even the most minute things in life. I'm telling you, you can't please everybody. Uh, some years ago, I had somebody say, your, your sound system's too loud. I said, well, I, nobody else has said anything about it. They said, they're afraid to talk to you. Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just so mean. They're scared of me, I guess. I, and, and, and so, so I said, well, all right. So we'll just do a little private survey. And we'll find out. So we put out a survey. How many of you think? How many of, and I said, don't even sign it. I just want this to be private. How many of you think the sound system's too loud? I got one response back. It was too loud. And I had some that said, no, it's just right. And I had some said, I can't hardly hear it. I'm telling you, you can't please everybody. I don't care what it is. What you've got to do is figure out what God wants and try to do what God wants and then let everybody else just fall in place. That's between them and God, not you and God. Listen, I'm telling you, there's going to be critics. There are going to be those who don't like it, especially when you start trying to do what's right. 
And, and, and listen to me. When you start making your way to the place God wants you to be, whether you're a lukewarm saint, whether you're a backslider, whether, whether, whether you're a saint that's been doing right, but you're trying to get into a deeper place with God, just get ready. As soon as you do, somebody is going to start finding fault. Somebody is going to start criticizing. Somebody is going to try to stand in your way. You want to know why? Because they feel condemned that they're not doing what you're doing. Nehemiah goes back. He starts trying to rebuild the wall. Well, here comes Sanballat, Tobiah, and they got their little two cents they got to put in. Nehemiah chapter four, verses one through six. Read this. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we built the wall. Sanballat heard. We're, now, now what's wrong with building the wall? We're, we're just trying to rebuild this city that's gotten torn down. Read. He was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. He got mad. So when he got mad, he started mocking those that were trying to work. And what did he say? And he spake before his brethren. He spake before his brethren. And the army of Samaria. The army of Samaria. And he said. And he said. What do these people do? Oh, these weakling Jews. What do they think they're doing? Read. Will they fortify Are they going to be able to strengthen themselves? Will they sacrifice? Do you really think they're going to get their temple built and start sacrificing again? Will they make an end? Are they going to get this finished in one day? Will they revive the stones? Are they going to revive the stones out of the heap of the rubbish which is burned? Read. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him. And he said. And here he joined in the chorus. And this was the verse that he sang. Even that which they build. Oh, if they do build something. If a fox goes, if a fox goes up on break it, down their it's going to break down their stone wall. Here, here, oh our God. And so Nehemiah, now listen, here they are. They said, yeah, you know, you just keep on trying, Nehemiah. You keep on, you just go ahead and build your little wall. But I'm telling you, it's going to be so weak and it's going to be so pathetic and it's going to be so, so limited that if a fox comes along and starts to climb up the wall, it's all going to come tumbling down like Jericho. You're just wasting your efforts. You're wasting your time. Don't even try to build it. You're never going to get anything done. Who do you think you are? You're nobody. Don't you remember all of the things that you did that took you into captivity? Can't you remember the past that's hanging over your head? Why don't you give up? Nehemiah responded. Verse 4. Hear, O our God. He didn't say hear Tobiah or hear Sanballat. He said, God, listen. We are despised. They hate us. And turn their approach upon their own head. I'm asking you, the things they're saying about us, God, just let them reap what they're sowing. And give them for prey in the land of captivity. Uh-huh. And cover not their iniquity. Don't hide their iniquity. And let not their sin be blotted out from before thee. Right. For they have provoked thee to anger. Because it's not me that's mad, God. I can sense you're the one that's angry about this. They're stopping your work. This is not my work. This wasn't my idea to build this wall. This was yours. Read. Before the builders, so built we the wall. And so, this is what I love. So built we the wall. Read. And all the wall. And all the wall. Was joined together. Was joined together. Unto the half thereof. 
for the people because the people had a mind to work. I love this. The people had a mind to work, not to go chasing foxes. We're not going to spend our time trying to keep all the foxes away. We're not going to spend our time trying to worry about all the things that people say are going to bring us down. I'm not going to waste my time and my energy trying to deal with every critic that comes along that doesn't like what's going on. I know what's happening is the will of God. So let them say what they want to say. Let them do what they want to do. God is, is in charge of this effort and I'm on his side and if God be for us who can be against us I'm not going to spend my time chasing all your crazy foxes you know it's interesting because in the New Testament the word fox is used also in reference to a specific individual in the New Testament, when it appears, one, one commentator said that the word is used to denote a dissembler or one who hides his real motives. That that's what, when, when, when they use the term a fox, you know, somebody that's, that's saying, well, you know, I'm just trying to spare you the anguish. No, you're trying to keep me from working. That's what you're doing. You don't like where we're headed. You don't like what's going on. You don't like the direction we're taking and you want to put a stop to it. Let's be honest about what your motives are. A dissembler. And, and the Bible says in the New Testament that, that sometimes they have been referred to as a fox. Nehemiah said, look, you guys stand back and say what you want to say. I'm not wasting my time chasing your foxes. I'm not wasting my time running after every little argument you throw at us. We're just going to keep on building. We're just going to keep on doing what we know we need to do. And they did. And guess what? The wall got built. Because they didn't waste their time chasing foxes. Hear me, saint of God. We can spend all of our time chasing after little foxes that people want to try to turn loose on us. Or we can just get busy and do what God wants us to do. Well, hallelujah. I say let's get busy about the work of God. Let's not listen to our detractors. Let's not listen to our critics. Let's not pay attention to those who don't like it. Let's just do what God asks us to do. See, Jesus, Jesus had that attitude too. I love this. Going over to Luke chapter 13. I want you to look at this. I, I love this. When I got to looking at Nehemiah and the whole story of, of Sanballat and Tobiah and, and them saying to Nehemiah, oh, you build that wall, the foxes will run up on it and tear it down. Nobody's going to be able to do anything of any worth or any lasting value among you Jews. Just give up. Just throw in the towel. Forget about it. A little fox can destroy what you've got going so now we jump to the New Testament and we find Jesus and he's out doing good. He's out healing the sick. He's out raising the dead and opening blinded eyes and raising the paralytic. And here come the Pharisees. Luke chapter 13, verse 31. The same day there came a certain of the Pharisees saying unto him, Get thee out. You better get out. And depart from hence. You better go. For Herod will kill because you. Because Herod's looking to kill you. Now, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Pharisees weren't trying to spare Jesus. 
Let's not kid ourselves. The Pharisees would have liked nothing better than for Herod to put Jesus to death. They weren't, they weren't being a friend to him, and he knew it and he recognized it. Oh, you better go, Jesus. You better run. You better hide. You know what they're doing? They're just trying to get him to cower in fear so they can stop what he's doing. He's having a positive impact on the people, something they in their dead religion have not been able to accomplish for centuries now. But Jesus comes on the scene and in the matter of a couple of years has got the whole nation talking. And he's doing good and he's helping people. So you better get out of here, Jesus. You're going to die. You better get out of here. You better run. I love how he responded. Let's read on, verse 32. And he said to them, He said to them, Go ye. Go ye. And tell that fox. And tell that fox. Behold. Go I tell cast, that fox. Behold. I cast out I'm devils. casting out devils. And I do cures I today. I do cures today. And tomorrow. And tomorrow. And the third and the day. Third day I'm going to be perfected. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, I must I'm going to walk today. And tomorrow. And tomorrow. And the day following. And the day following. For it cannot be. That a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. Here's what he said. You go back and tell that fox, he's not stopping me. And, you know, in telling him, it's going to remind you, you're not stopping me either. I know what I was sent here to do. I know what my calling is. I know what my purpose is. And that fox or any other fox is not going to stop me from doing what I was put here to do. I'm just going to keep on, brother, sister. I'm going to keep on healing the sick. I'm going to keep on raising the dead. I'm going to keep on killing the lepers. I'm going to keep on healing the lame. And Herod and no Pharisee is going to get in my way until I'm ready to call it quits. I know what day I'm going to stop. I know when it's all going to come to an end. And you're not going to set that. Well, praise God. So you just go back and tell that old fox. Now, you know, again, this is why I say Jesus was no wimp. Jesus was no sissy. And uh, I learned something. I didn't know. I've read this verse, obviously, for years. I learned something yesterday. I didn't know about it. Uh, it is amazing that when the, when the Syrophoenician came, Jesus called her a dog. Well, that's not very Christ-like. Well, it was Christ who did it. I guess it was Christ-like. Now, look, it wasn't an insult. I'm telling you, as Gentiles, that's really all we are. But thank God he had mercy on us. Thank God he loved us in spite of how low we are. When Jesus called Herod a fox, it wasn't just an insult. Now, I'm going to tell you, it was a pretty deep, it was, it was a pretty deep cut. I didn't realize how deep, Brother Brandon. Here's the thing about it. This word fox in the original Greek is not just a fox, but it's a she-fox. It's a female fox. <laughs> I mean, when, when he cut, he cut low, didn't he? You go tell that she fox that she's not stopping me. 
Well, hallelujah. I'm t- it's the truth. You can look it up, but it's the truth. You go tell that she fox, she's not going to stand. In- Herod's not standing in my way, and you Pharisees are not standing in my way. In fact, when Pilate said, don't you understand? I've got the power to take your life or to let you go. He said, you don't have any power except what I give to you. You're not taking my life. I'm laying it down. Oh, child of God, why don't we get that attitude? If God be for us, I said it once, I say again, who can be against us? If we're doing what God called us to do, there aren't enough devils in hell to stop what God's got planned. As long as we'll keep our focus, as long as we don't get sidetracked, as long as we don't waste our time and our energy chasing after foxes, let's just pick up the trowel and pick up the sword. Let's build and let's fight a spiritual warfare and let's see God do what he said he was going to do. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, the beautiful thing about Nehemiah, you know, you come back later and the Bible says everybody knew that the thing was of God. They knew God was in it. That's what I want. I'm not wanting it so they'll look back and say, man, look what he did. I want to tell you what I want is I want all the world to look back and say, look what God did. Look what God did. I know those feeble people there. I know, I know they couldn't have done anything on their own. It obviously had to be the hand of God that did it. That's fine with me. I want him to get all the glory. I want him to get all the praise. This much I know. If God called us to do it, God's going to empower us to fulfill the calling. Well, praise God. Everything God said, everything that he said to this church, God's going to do. And it doesn't matter what it looks like. And it doesn't matter who criticizes. And it doesn't matter who says what. Well, hallelujah. It doesn't matter who throws what accusations at whom. None of that matters. What matters is we're doing what God told us to do. And so God's going to put his blessing on it. And God's going to put his favor on it. And when it's all said and done, God's going to see to it that there was more done than just what was said. Oh, help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Hallelujah. All right, all right, all right. Sometimes we got to just ignore the foxes. Sometimes we got to ignore all the arguments and distractions and just stay busy doing what God wants us to do. And you'll be surprised. You'll be surprised who might just come along and join in. You'd be surprised who might pick up a trowel beside you. Say, let me help for a little while. I'm not talking about getting a bad attitude. I'm not talking about about having a bad spirit about it. I'm just talking about just, you know, stay focused. Stay focused. We're just going to do what God asks us to do. So so let's let's get back. Let's get back to Mark chapter 3. So so the point is this that Jesus had his distractors. He had those who, who wanted to try to stop him. He had those who were literally out to destroy him. 
But rather than focusing on them, he decided, I'll just go to the ones who want me. And you know, for that group that hated him, that group that despised him, that group that wanted to destroy him, the Bible says there was a great multitude that followed him. There was a great multitude that followed him. And he went and healed them. He could have gotten frustrated. He could have said, I, you know, forget it. Just forget it. Just throw in the towel. Why even try? No. No. He said, look, if they don't want it, there's somebody who does. And I'm going to spend my time with them. This was his philosophy. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 6. Give not that which is holy to the dogs, neither cast ye pearl before swine, lest they trample them under feet, under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Yeah, this is, don't take what's holy and give it to dogs. Now, you understand what he's saying here. Dogs don't understand what's holy and unholy. They don't comprehend the value. And he said, swine don't understand what's costly and what's cheap. They don't have a comprehension of that. He said, you throw those pearls out there in front of the swine and they're not going to say, oh man, let's make a necklace. Or let's go to the pawn shop and get some money here. It, to them, it's nothing more than rocks, stones. There's no difference to them. And the point was, Jesus is saying to some people, you're going to have the beauty of the gospel, the pearls of truth that are in the scripture, and you're going to try to lay it out before them, and you're going to find out they have as much appreciation for the gospel as what pigs have for pearls. They don't appreciate it. Have you ever been excited about what God did in your life and you go and you tell somebody about this great and wonderful experience you've had and they just look at you and you can tell they couldn't care less. They are so unmoved. They are so untouched. They are so uninterested. Don't get aggravated. Don't get frustrated. Just move on. Because somewhere, somewhere, somebody is going to appreciate what you've got to say. Somebody is looking for what you found. Well, hallelujah. Praise God. All right, let's, let's move on. Uh, verse 9, I think we're at verse 9 now. Mark chapter 3, verse 9. Now, now verse 7, it says a great multitude followed him. Verse 9 gives us a little bit more insight into how great this multitude was. And he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. Yeah, he's, he's standing at the seashore, and they are crowding in on him. And it is such a crowd, he's only got one way to go. Somebody get me a boat. Somebody get me a boat. Let me, I, I, I got to get a little space here. They are, they are thronging me. They are pressing upon me. I got to have a little bit of space here. Somebody get a boat. So I'm just telling you, there were far more people interested in what Jesus was doing than those that were disinterested. 
There were far more people who were appreciative of what he had to offer than there were those who hated it. And I'm saying to this church today, for every person that slams the door in your face, for every person that says, I don't want to hear it, I'm telling you there's a multitude out there that's just waiting and hoping that somebody's going to knock on their door, that somebody's going to pick up the phone and call them, that somebody's going to say, I've been praying for you this week. There is a multitude out there that's hungry for what we've got. Don't let the devil convince you otherwise because you find a few that don't want it. Well, praise God. And then what happened next proves that it was worth his while. It was worth his while not to waste time on the foxes, but just to invest in those who really, really wanted him. And let me just take, I'm going to just say this just just to say it, not dwell on it a lot, but just because somebody's not interested today doesn't mean they're never going to be interested. And I just, just felt like I needed to say that. If they're not interested today, you, you can beat your brains out trying to get them interested. But God knows how to stir up the interest. So don't frustrate yourself trying to create an interest where there is none. No man can come to God except the spirit draw him you can't force somebody to be hungry for God but God knows how to draw them so if, if you're hitting a brick wall in trying to win them back off I feel like saying this today just back off we want everybody saved but if, if you're hitting a brick wall, you're just going to end up frustrating yourself more. Just back off and pray and let God do what you can't. And when the time is right, either you'll know it and God will prompt you or they'll be so hungry they'll come to you. Hallelujah. And when that time comes, you're not going to have to frustrate yourself. It's just going to happen. Well, praise God. I want to show you, it was worth his time to move on. It was worth his time to move on. He left those that hated him, those that wanted to destroy him. He moved on to those that wanted him. And look at what happens, verses 10 and 11. For he had healed many. He healed many. And so much that they pressed upon him. They pressed on him. For to touch him. To touch him. As many as, as, had, many plagues. as had plagues. And unclean spirits, when they saw and him. Unclean spirits, when they saw him. Fell down before him. Fell down before him. And cried. And cried. Saying, Thou saying, art the Son thou of God. Thou art the Son of God. Now look. He left those who didn't want it. And he went to those who did. And oh, the miracles that started happening. Oh, the positive things that started taking place when he went to those that were hungry. You know, we talked about this way back at the beginning of Mark chapter 2 when he, when he had to go to the city of Capernaum. Nazareth didn't want him. He went to Capernaum. And what happened when he got there? They thronged the house. They couldn't even get in the doors. There were so many people. I'm telling you, church, we can waste our time with people that are not hungry. 
We keep going back to the same one, the same one, the same one, the same one, because we want them saved. And, and that's good that we want them saved. But if they're not ready, don't keep wasting your time and energy on the one that's not ready. Go find someone who is because you don't know but what that person may be a key to a huge revival. There may be a throng of people that are just waiting on that one individual but you're over here so frustrated trying to get this one saved, trying to get this one saved when there's someone over here saying somebody please tell me, somebody please I know there's more than what I've got I know there's more than what I possess somebody please tell me God if there's a God in heaven send somebody to my door and we're over here still knocking the same old door that keeps slamming it in our face every time <sighs> hallelujah if we can learn to be sensitive to the spirit you know that's Jesus Jesus was in a revival I don't know any other way to put it. In fact, this is not in my notes, but, but let, me, let me just show you. Go to John. Um, John chapter uh, 4 is where we're going to go, but I want to first. Yeah, John chapter 4, and, and start reading verse 1. John chapter 4, verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Now, now look at this. Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. You talk about a revival. The Bible talks about John having the multitudes standing on the banks of the Jordan wanting to be baptized. Jesus is having one more revival. But keep reading. Though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed. Wait, 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 wait. He did what? He left Judea. He's in the midst of a tremendous revival. And he said, all right, guys, time to go. What? What? You're leaving this? Read. And departed again into Galilee. He went to Galilee. Why? And he must Because he had to go Samaria. through Samaria. Now what's waiting for him in Samaria? What's waiting for him in Samaria? One little woman that society didn't want. One little woman that everybody looked down on. One little woman that nobody wanted to talk to. One little woman that had to hide and go to the well at a time when nobody else is going to be there. And Jesus left a huge revival to go to this one woman that nobody else wanted. But see, it wasn't just about this one woman. This woman happened to be a key. She happened to be a key. Go down to verse 27 and start reading. And upon this came his disciples uh -huh. and marveled at, that he talked with the woman. Uh -huh. Yet no man said, What seekest thou? Or 
Why talkest yeah, thou with her? Nobody asked any questions. They were wondering, but they wouldn't ask. Read. And the woman then left her water pot. But the woman who had come to the well to get water forgot why she was there. And went her way to the city. And she went back into Samaria. And said to the men. And she said to the men. Come see a man. Come and see a man. Which told me all that things. Told that told everything I ever did. Is not this, is not this the Christ? Then they Read. went out of the city. Then they went out of the city. And came to him. And came to him. Let's go down. Uh, verse number 35. Say not ye. Say not ye. There are yet There's four yet months, four months. And, comes and then comes harvest. Behold, Behold I, say to you, I say to you, lift up, lift your, up eyes your eyes and look, and look fields, on the fields. For they are white, they are white already under harvest. Go down to verse 39. And many of the and Samaritans, of, the Samaritans of, the of that city him believed on him for the saying of, the, the, woman, saying of the woman which testified, which testified told he told all me that all that ever I did. Well, hallelujah. I'm telling you, he left a revival, brother, sister, to go meet up with one little woman that nobody else wanted. But it wasn't just about that one woman. That one woman happened to be the key to an entire city. There was a great revival that erupted in Samaria because Jesus was sensitive enough to the spirit living inside of him that even in the midst of a revival, he heard the cry of a hungry heart. And he said, I gotta go meet this lady. I gotta go meet this lady. Something's about to happen over here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, church. Hallelujah. We can get so tied down trying and trying and trying to reach the same one he really doesn't even want it. And there might be one key somewhere that that one key could fill up this entire building. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You'll never know. Sometimes the key comes in the most unlikely package. You never know. But if we could be sensitive. Jesus, Jesus left those who didn't want him. And he went. And he found a multitude so great. He said, you guys better get a ship ready. I might need to make a fast escape here. I might need to get away from the, from the shoreline here because they're getting in so close. I, uh, they're, they're all trying to touch me. So let's, let, let's get a boat ready. And, and, and he started healing folks. And he started casting out devils. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. Only God knows. Only God knows the depth, the magnitude of revival that may be waiting in one life. The effects of that one life that could turn everything around. We got to learn to be sensitive. We got to learn to be sensitive. The Lord spoke to a man by the name of Ananias 
He said, I'm sending somebody your way. His name's Saul. Oh, no, God, no. No, 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 no. No, please not, Saul. Don't, Lord, please not, Saul. I've heard about Saul. I've heard about what a wicked man he is. I've heard about what a horrible person he is. God said, yeah, I know you have. What you haven't heard is what a great man he's going to become and what I'm going to do with him. He's going to stand before kings and declare this message. You can write him off or you can write him in. And if you'll write him in, you'll never regret the addition to the kingdom. Well, hallelujah. I feel like I'm preaching to somebody here this morning. I'm telling you, sometimes we just got to lift our eyes up and recognize. I think, in fact, I believe that's what Jesus really was saying to his disciples when he said, lift up your eyes and look, the fields are white, all ready to harvest. I just kind of, this is the way I see it in my mind. This is my opinion. But in my mind, they're standing here talking. He's talking to his disciples. He said, you say it's yet four months. It's yet four. He said, but I want you to look. And, and, And in my mind, I see him just turning point towards Samaria. Look, look at the field. Look at the field. It's white already to harvest. And here comes this crowd. I believe he's pointing at a crowd of people that's already started that way. Look, look, look. It's white already to harvest. It's not down the road somewhere. It's not six months from now. It's not four months from now. There's a revival, right? We love to revive, but you talk about a revival. We're about to reach an end city it's white already to harvest hallelujah hallelujah I'll tell you God God's trying to let us know our fields are white Our fields are ripe. Our harvest is ready. In fact, I've said it many times, and I might as well say it again. I can't find anywhere in the scripture where God ever said pray for a harvest. But what he did say was pray that there would be laborers because the harvest is ripe. We don't have a harvest problem. There's not a famine There's just a shortage of workers. If we can get enough workers in the field, we'll reap a harvest. Well, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, we're, we're, we're just so consumed with our problems, our issues, our situations, our, our difficulties. And, and I understand, you know, those, those are the things that affect us in life. I understand all that. But sometimes we've got to look above all of that and say there's something greater at hand. There's a harvest that God is wanting to send to this church. I want to be in position. I want to be ready. I I want my heart right. I want my spirit in tune. I want to know when it's harvest time and I want to know where the field is that's ripe. I want to get out there and get right in the middle of it all. I want to be reaping as much as I can reap. Lord, I've I've still got I've still got some ground to cover here, but my time is up. Sister Becca, come. I 
I wasn't finished with verse 11, but I think I'm finished for today. We'll come back and pick up on verse 11 again next time. Lord willing, but... Hallelujah. There is a harvest if we can get in tune with it, if we can get our hearts to beat with his heart, if we can get our spirits aligned with his spirit. I'm telling you, there is a harvest waiting for us in this city. And I don't just mean in Olathe. I'm talking about this whole metropolitan area. There is a revival that's waiting. It's waiting. I'm telling you, something's happening. Something's, something is transpiring in the spirit. You hear me, church? Something has changed. Something has taken place. And now, and now, the call is going forth. Amen. The, 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 the Lord of the harvest is saying, pray. Come on. I just need some folks that, that will get a burden to do a work. I just need some folks that'll get their eyes off their own situation for just a little while and go out there and pick up the sickle and put it into the midst of the grain because there's a harvest. We can't afford to let the harvest go to waste. We can't afford to let the grain die on the stock. It's time to get out there. It's time to reap what God is trying to give us. Oh, hallelujah. Let's stand today. Let's stand. It's time.